Well, as, uh, as Nina had mentioned, what an awesome opportunity to hear a hymn like that, but not just hear it, to sing it with them, right? To sing it together, to sing it with the, the author of the hymn. I think her name was Louisa Steed. And, uh, and, and just thinking about the type of faith that she articulates and invites us to kind of raise our voices with and to uh, in, in singing that song. It's just a, it, it, it's a, it's a gift for me. I don't know if you experience that. I mean, I know that sometimes we feel a pressure to sing in church, but hopefully the invitation from our worship team is such that, that we, could, we could give voice to these lyrics and that they could actually speak the, the language of our soul, right? I love the, the, the line, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise." This is the core, the most basic core of what it means to follow Jesus, to take him at his word, to rest, to find soul rest upon his promise. I think those are words that are so simple and yet so difficult for us uh, as adults, kids pay attention, you have an advantage, right? You haven't yet faced the things that many adults have had to face in this world that make them uh, untrusting and skeptical, that make it hard for them to believe that, that really, God, you just want me to take Jesus at his word and to rest upon his promise? But yeah, I think she was right. Miss Steed was right when she penned these words. And, you know, and oftentimes when we sing these songs, we love to sing them. We don't necessarily even necessarily know why we like to sing them. We, we, it speaks some language in our heart that we can't even put our fingers on. But we sing them nonetheless, and we say, why do I love singing that song? Well, you know, as we mentioned, there is a class going on right now on Sunday mornings at 8.30 that will walk us into the depth of the story, the, the narrative, the meaning behind the hymn, the, not just the, the meaning of why it was written, but the, the meaning of, of, of how it connects with God's promises and, and enriches the worshipers of God as they lift their voice together. And so hopefully you'll find it important, to, uh, valuable to wake up a little bit earlier on Sunday morning and join us downstairs uh, at 8.30 in, in the patio rooms to, to explore a hymn, a different hymn every week. It's worth your time. It's worth all of our time. To be honest with you, uh, sharing God's love with our neighbors can seem complex and difficult, and yet this idea of, 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 of even thinking about ourselves as worshipers of God should, should inform what it means to love our neighbor, right? We're, we're in a new series here at Trinity called Staycation, this idea that, that God doesn't need to send us to the ends of the earth to use us right here in our own backyards to share the good news of Jesus Christ. There are people that, that need to know of who Jesus is. And, and for many of us, we, we think about this idea of sharing our faith with others, and, and it's intimidating. It seems challenging. It seems difficult. It seems uh, a bit complex. But the reality is that it's as simple as giving voice to how you have taken Jesus at his word and how your soul finds rest upon his promises. So this morning, we're going to take a look at a passage in Mark chapter 10 that, that teaches about this kind of faith from which we not only have ourselves, but that we invite others to, to take upon, uh, to, to join us with, of taking Jesus at his word. 
in Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at just four verses right there in the middle of chapters, uh, verses 13 to 16. Now, here's the thing. Just knowing about God, as we do when we come to church and go to uh, uh, Bible studies and things like that, and, 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 and knowing our neighbors doesn't make us missionaries, right? What we need is to embrace this idea of what it looks like to trust in Jesus, to trust in him like a child. Let me read four verses from Mark chapter 10 for us. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, and laying his hands on them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And, and Lord, that's what we desire to know this morning. We desire to know your word. And not just your word, but, but your heart that your word reveals to us. We desire to know your mind and, and your purposes. We desire to know your, uh, what your kingdom is and how we can help see your kingdom grow and be used by you. So Lord, we're here for you. That's number one, most clear. We are here for you. Have your way in us as we spend time in these verses this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now before we jump into this passage, I want to speak to the kids and the youth in the congregation. If you have your, your sermon journal, hold it up. I'm going to ask you something uh, that, good, good, I see them, I see them, great, awesome. Now, I'm going to ask you something. When you, I still see them, awesome, great, that's good. You can put them down now. Your journal will not necessarily ask this, but I'm going to say a word in the service today, and it's a big word. It's, it's a word that even some of us adults have to look up, probably do have to look up, and so adults, you can pay attention to. The word is indignant, okay? Indignant. You're going to hear me say it at some point. I want you to pay attention. I want you to kind of understand what does it mean? What does indignant mean? I'm going to talk about that, but also who is it? Who, who is it describing? Who gets indignant? Okay, so, so pay attention. I'll try to draw your attention to it at that point, but that's the word we're going to be looking for today. You never know when it's going to come out, so be prepared, all right? Now, in our passage this morning, there is one thing we need to get straight. As we approach this passage where there are these disciples that are, that are rebuking the, uh, the people who are bringing children to Jesus, there's something we need to learn about, and just we want, we, I need us to start here when we look at this passage. See, the focus of this passage isn't on the children or those trying to bring the, the, uh, the children to Jesus, right? We're not going to explore uh, trying to understand our neighbors better so we know how to reach them and go to them. This passage this morning is focused on someone else. See, Mark doesn't record this passage so that we might gain insight on them, but on Jesus' disciples. So I think what happens in these four verses is it, they, he, he casts a spotlight on the heart of Jesus' disciples, and it's not good. So this morning, my invitation to you is to, to, to receive God's word as, it, as being like a flashlight on your own soul. 
That, that, that as we study these verses, you might ask yourself, what is the state of your soul? What is the state of your heart as God is working in and through you as his disciple, as his follower? See, all Mark says in this passage is they were bringing children. He doesn't say if they were parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, neighbors, friends. He just says they. There's some people that are bringing children. And he doesn't even tell us who the children are. Like, are, are these newborns, infants? Are they, are they uh, teenagers? Are they adult males that are acting like children? What, who are these children? We don't, we don't know, right? But where Mark does specify in our passage the audience that he's speaking about or the people that he's speaking about is in letting us know that it's Jesus' disciples who are rebuking the crowd. Right? He makes it clear we know that it's Jesus' disciples that are doing something. See, when the New Testament authors use this language around rebuking, they use it very cautiously, limitedly. And, and even oftentimes when they record a, a rebuke in the New Testament, it doesn't turn out so well for the people that are doing the rebuking, right? A, a rebuke is kind of getting um, admonished for doing something wrong, right? Well, you would think that the person being rebuked would receive that and it wouldn't feel so good. But oftentimes in the New Testament where someone is rebuked, it's the rebuker that's made a mistake, that's done something wrong, right? You may remember the, the story in the New Testament where after Jesus tells his disciples that he must suffer and die in Jerusalem at the hands of the elders and the chief priests, what does Peter do? He rebukes him. He pulls him aside and he rebukes him and says, no, no way, Lord, right? And, and this is where Jesus famously replies, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Ouch. Right? That's got to hurt. To hear your Savior say, get behind me, Satan. Whoa, 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 no, Jesus, I'm not Satan, I'm Peter, right? See, the, the, the thing that Peter thought that he was doing which was good was not so good. That maybe he had the wrong heart posture, the wrong mindset, the wrong perspective on the situation, and, and it ended pretty poorly for him. Later on in Mark chapter 10, when Jesus and his, his disciples pass a, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus, and his disciples rebuke him. They say, get back, right? But Jesus ignores them. Jesus ignores his disciples and actually calls Bartimaeus to come to him, right? L listen to verses 49 to 52 of chapter 10. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. See, Jesus' response to Bartimaeus is the opposite of what the disciples think it should be. The disciples think it should be, stay back. You know, here's a holy man, you're unclean, stay back. But Jesus says, no. no. He stops, invites him to come near, to come to him, and then heals him. 
You know, I think there's a, a number of stories like this that you can find in the New Testament where, you know, where we see Jesus' supernatural power at work in healing and restoring someone, but not just that super... We, we oftentimes focus on the supernatural power to heal that Jesus has, but we move quickly past the heart of Jesus that's revealed in that moment in contrast to the people of the day, Right? See, the focus of our passage today isn't on the children or on whoever was bringing the children to Jesus. The focus of our passage is on the disposition of our hearts. It's on the, the disposition of the hearts of Jesus' disciples, and, and not just where their hearts were at, but how forgetful they were of the promises of God through Jesus. I know... Uh, I'm not really sure how much time had passed since chapter 9 in Mark, but if you were to flip your Bibles back a, a, a page, you'd see that in Mark chapter 9, verse 37, that Jesus has just instructed his, his disciples of, the, of something very particular in the kingdom of God. He tells them that unless someone, let me see, he just told them that whoever receives a child in his name receives him. And not just him, but him who sent him. Whoever receives a child in his name. Whoever receives one, a young child in his name. And now here they are a day, a couple days, a few days later. And they're rebuking the crowd from bringing children to them. The disciples are forgetful. They, they love being around Jesus. They love being near to him. But they're not hearing him. His words are not sinking down deep into their heart and changing how they live their lives. They, they don't yet have the same heart that Jesus has. What I hope we're going to learn from God's word this morning is that if you want to bless your neighbors, if you want to give your neighbors true hope, the hope of Jesus, well, then you have to have a firm grip on the promises of Jesus for yourself. Right? Like the oxygen masks that drop down out of the ceiling of the plane when there's a drop in cabin pressure, our masks have to be connected to the life-giving flow of oxygen that Jesus offers us so that we can help those around us. Right? Here in Mark chapter 10, Jesus' disciples were, were quick to forget these promises. They were quick to forget the life-giving blood or, or oxygen of Jesus that, that flows into our soul. And, and it shows in their spiritual insensitivity. It, it shows as, as they rebuke the people coming to Jesus for a blessing. See, to take Jesus at his word and to rest in his promises begins by embracing and remembering his promises. To, to not be so quick to say, yeah, I know that about Jesus. He can, he can heal a blind man. But to see in that moment the heart of Jesus. To embrace it. To, to, to keep it ever before you as you move forward. And, and, and this work continues not just as we remember the past, but as we, as we seek to share in his heart as we go forward. Look at verses 14 to 15 from Mark 10 in our passage. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. 
And do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now this is the only passage where Mark records Jesus as being indignant. There's other emotions that we know the Bible records of Jesus. But this one, a very specific word is used to to describe Jesus' emotion uh, as being indignant, and this is the only place where Jesus is described as being indignant. Kids, indignant means that Jesus was angry, right? Jesus was not just a little bit angry. Jesus was angry. But he wasn't just angry at the crowd's or the people trying to encroach on him. He wasn't, he, he wasn't saying, I need my quiet space, I need my personal space. Jesus was angry with his own disciples because they treated the children as if they were a hassle, an annoyance, right? Jesus was indignant because his very own followers did not share his same heart for the lost. Now, I don't know, kids, if it's like this for you at, uh, at Christmas, but at our house, on Christmas morning, when the presents are under the tree, the kids are not allowed to come out of their room until the parents have their cup of coffee in hand, their camera's out, they're ready to go, right? And those kids are chomping at the bits to break through that, that, that human barrier, the wall that we're trying to block them from getting out there to get those presents. We are hindering the kids from getting to the Christmas tree, but it's for a good reason, because the adults want to see your faces when you see all those presents around the tree. They want to celebrate with you. They want to feel that joy. And so uh, you can imagine in a similar way how indignant Jesus would be when his disciples, his own disciples, hindered the people from coming near to him. He knew the joy that these people would experience when they were able to come near to Jesus and hear Jesus bless them for themselves. But he was indignant because his own disciples were keeping these children and the crowds from coming near to him. See, Jesus was angry with good reason. The heart that Jesus has for the people invites them to come near. He, he doesn't say, stand back, I'm a holy man. He doesn't say, I can't handle your mess, the mess in your life, so you need to, you need to give me some space. That's, that's our reaction. We see, we see something like, I'm not saying necessarily emotionally or spiritually, well, sometimes emotionally. We see someone who's in a, an emotionally difficult place, and some of us think, oh, that's yucky, we got to stay away, right? Like, I don't want to get involved in that mess. That's not the heart of Jesus, Church, that's not the heart of Jesus. I mean, not to be grotesque, but my reaction when, it, when someone uh, vomits, my reaction is I run away. I get, I, I'm grossed out. I'm scared. I, I begin to feel sick myself. That's not the heart of Jesus. I'm not, what I'm saying is spiritually, emotionally, we don't run away from the mess. We don't run away from the brokenness. That's not the heart of Jesus. Jesus' disciples were running away from the mess, essentially. 
And it make, made Jesus angry. It made him indignant. See, Jesus had just gotten done saying that whoever receives a child like this receives me. To receive is to welcome, is to invite to come closer. The heart of Jesus isn't to block, but to welcome them. And who is it that Jesus welcomes? Is it the the, the rich, the wise, and the powerful, the, the landowners, and the, the healthy people? No. Well, maybe, actually. But that's not, that's not the point. That's not what Jesus is drawing our attention to. No. It's those that are like children. Right? The criteria for Jesus inviting people to come close to him is not economic, it's not ethnic, it's not, it's not skill-based or, or gift-based. It's character-based, right? Here in Mark chapter 10, we get a chance to see the nature and character of Jesus' heart in thinking about who the people are that he loves to come near to him. He says, let the children come unto me, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, how does this help us share our faith with our friends and our neighbors? Well, it helps us understand the kind of people that Jesus wants to invite into his kingdom. Right? It's all of us. It's all of us. Those who have much or have little. Those who have it together or those who who feel like their life is a hot mess. Jesus invites all of us who come to him like children. Kids are eager to receive, aren't they? They're, they're trusting, they're dependent, and, and they're humble. You think about the children in your life, and you think, in some senses, they've been unspoiled by the ways of this world, right? They're, they're not skeptical. I should say they're not as skeptical as we are as adults, They're more likely to trust us or to trust others. If I come home from a trip and I I tell my kids that I have something for them, they get excited. They don't don't care what it is. They don't say, "Um, actually, before you give us this gift, tell us what it is and I'll tell you whether or not I'll be excited to, to get this. They're just excited that I brought a gift home and they trust me, that I love them and I want to give them good gifts, right? The second characteristic of a child is that they're trusting Just like they they trust me as their father, our children quickly learn to trust us, but they only lose that trust in us if we prove ourselves to be untrustworthy, right? By default, kids want to trust, is what I'm saying. They're not skeptical by default, which leads to uh, another childlike characteristic. A child wants to depend on a caregiver to provide for them and take care of them, right? Uh, Every child enters this world physically, spiritually, and emotionally dependent on others. Somehow, somewhere along the way, as adults, we've come to see dependence on God and others as a weakness. We're ashamed or embarrassed when we need the help of others. 
we, we, we tend to see it as being a, a failing in our faith and in our life when, when we need to depend on others, whether emotionally or physically and absolutely spiritually. But it's a key characteristic of those who are living in the kingdom of God that they have learned to take Jesus at his word and to rest upon his promise, to depend upon him, to, to say that my glory doesn't depend on myself, but my glory and my honor and my salvation depends on you, God. I look to you for it all. Another character trait of, of, of a child is humility. Now, you may disagree with me on this, but I'm always in awe of how quickly children get along in a classroom or social setting. Now, this isn't necessarily 100% true all of the time, but I think children are much more likely to think of others than we are as adults, right? They step into a situation and they don't just stay in their own little play space, but, but they do think of others. Now, as we get older, we, we have a hard time sharing our toys and whatnot. But you put a child in a situation where they're tempted to be compassionate, and it's not much of a, it's not a challenge. They'll be compassionate. Kids are amazing like that. I, I, I think there's a reason why Paul tells the people in Philippi, do nothing, uh, in, in chapter 2, verse 3, uh, we can put those, the, that verse up, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. As beautiful as Paul's words are here, I, I think this is a hard characteristic for us to cultivate as adults. We have a hard time putting the needs of others ahead of ourselves, not because we don't love them, but, become, but because we've, we've lived enough life in this world to be worried about our own future, our own provisions, our own care, our own needs, and, and oftentimes that crowds out the heart that God wants for us, that, that puts the needs of others ahead of our, or I should say counts the needs of others as more significant than ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that a child is without sin, but, but there's something pure about a child who hasn't yet learned the hard way how this world will fail them and let them down. There's something beautiful about a child that trusts, that's humble, that, that's eager to receive a gift from God, is excited. See, the problem for Jesus' disciples is that they're not yet looking at the world around them in the same way that Jesus is. They don't yet have that heart of a childlike faith. At this point, they weren't humble or, or teachable. They didn't trust that the people had good reasons for coming near to Jesus. They, they seemed to act as if Jesus has more important ways to spend his time. They see those who are far from Jesus as a hindrance rather than the object of God's love and the reason why Jesus came to this earth. Church, in order for us to love our neighbors and, and to share the good news of Jesus with them, we need to stop seeing them as a nuisance or as an interruption to our lives. 
We need to stop getting frustrated by their, their, their lives or their, their interruptions in our life. We need to not treat them like the religious leaders that, that treated the man beaten and left to die in the story of the Good Samaritan. You, you remember those leaders, right? When they saw him, they crossed to the other side of the road. Why? Because they didn't want a chance becoming defiled and unclean themselves as they journeyed to Jerusalem. Do you hear the selfishness in that? Do you hear the lack of humility? Do you hear the lack of concern for others? What, what is their concern in that story? Themselves. Their own cleanliness. Now, this is a, a parable, a story that Jesus tells in, this, in, in the Good Samaritan. But the reason Jesus tells it is because it's a real challenge for followers of Jesus to cultivate that humble, selfless, others-centered heart that Jesus has. See, what we need is to receive the kingdom as a child ourselves so that we can share the same heart and the same values with Jesus and so that we can see the world around us rightly. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus' disciples ask him a question. They want to know who the greatest in the kingdom is. And his response is helpful for us to consider. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, to, to share your faith with those around you, you have to start looking at the world the way Jesus does. And that begins by receiving the kingdom like a little child. Are you eager to receive from God? Are, are you willing to depend upon him to cast off the, that false shame and fear of being dependent on God and others and embrace the relationship he invites you into where he is your heavenly father and you are his child? Are you willing to have the humility that, that considers the needs of others as more significant than your own? See, all, all too often, those who are lost and alone in this world are, are, are overlooked because they don't measure up to what our society says is good and valuable and meaningful. But where our world says something isn't valuable, God has a heart and a purpose. You may remember Moses' story. Though, though Moses thought of himself as being one who was not skilled in speech, God used him as a mouthpiece to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. Though Andrew, Peter, James, and, and, and John were uneducated fishermen, Jesus called on them to be his witnesses first in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Though, though Mary and, and the other women weren't held in, in high esteem, Jesus lifted them up and gave them a prominent role in his kingdom. Church, my, my point is this. We can't judge a book by its cover. Our, our world's economy of, of the value of people 
is vastly different, in fact, opposite from the value of people in God's kingdom. Just because someone doesn't wear the right clothes or have the right college degree or drive the right car or live in the right town or or vote for the right person doesn't mean that they're not meant to get close to Jesus so that he can bless them. We need to stop valuing people based on this world's economy and start viewing people through Jesus' eyes. But that means you and I need to receive the kingdom like a little child, to receive it, to accept it, not to work for it, not to accomplish it, but to receive it, eager to receive it, dependent upon God, looking to God as the source of your life and your well-being and your future and your hope. See, people are not a hindrance. They're the object of God's love. So to share the the love of Jesus with others in our own neighborhoods requires that we adjust the spectacles through which we we look at the world around us. We, We can only do this by having a faith like a child, trusting in Jesus, taking him at his word, and resting upon his promises. And only then can we know and share in the heart of Jesus and be a willing instrument in his hands as he grows his kingdom. See, our passage this morning closes with these words found in verse 16 of Mark chapter 10. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Just like last week, this week's passage ends with Jesus reaching out and touching the people we think are untouchable. Last week, it was a man with leprosy. And this week, it's the people who the disciples think are nothing more than a disruption. And more than a touch, Jesus offers them a blessing. Now, this blessing is not just a a, a simple God bless you like you say when someone sneezes or a short prayer that you give when when someone, uh, before you share a meal around a table, right? This was an ongoing action, one that is sometimes described as hugging, right? Jesus could have hugged them in that moment. And you wonder, I mean, I don't know that he was specifically hugging him, but the language that that we're left to, to interpret says that this is not just quick, bless you, bless you, bless you, but a moment he shared with these people, a moment of intimacy. Can you picture what that might look like? That Jesus draws them near, hugs them. What might he speak into their ears? What might he say? What, What kind of prayer might he pray over them? These people need to come close to hear these things. What sort of transformation can happen in their lives if they're not held back from coming near to Jesus, but they're allowed to come close enough to him that they might hear his heart for themselves? Jesus wants to bless your neighbors, church, but he can't if you're hindering them from drawing near to them, to him. He, he can't bless those in your backyard if you're too concerned about your own image and afraid of being known as a Christian. 
He can't bless your neighbors if they can't get close enough because all they experience is a judgmental Christian who doesn't take the time to get to know who your neighbors truly are and what they're dealing with, what their life story is, what they've faced, and what trials and tribulations they've had to go through. He can't bless your neighbors if you don't have faith like a child to think that your neighbor's transformation is something that they too will receive, just as you yourself received like a child, not something you're going to get in their mind and convince them to see the world the way you see it. But when you trust God enough to know that God will work through you in their life in God's timing and not your own. Church, I'm going to close with this brief word. Don't be a hindrance to your neighbors. And don't get in Jesus' way of blessing them. It's easy for me to say up here. Practically speaking, it may look any number of ways in your life. It may just look like you opening your home to sharing a meal with them. It may just look like you being more friendly to say hi to them when you're out in the yard together. I don't know the context of the life you're living in, but I know that you have a neighbor and you have the opportunity of being a hindrance or a help in them drawing near to Jesus. Don't be a hindrance. Have faith like a little child. Trust in Jesus. Take him at his word and rest in his promises and let him do the work of transformation in the hearts and lives of your neighbors. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are a gracious God who even in those places where we have fallen short of your expectation as your disciples, you show us compassion and mercy. And Lord, when, when we fail to be a, a good witness of the kingdom of God and of Jesus, that does not stop you from blessing the people that need to be blessed, the lost in this world. Lord, we want to be an instrument in your hand. We want to be fruitful and effective in, 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 in spreading the fame of Jesus in this region. We want to spread the word about Jesus here. And so, Lord, help us to think with your mind. Help us to Share a heart with Jesus so that when we look at the world around us, we don't see us versus them, but we see the object of your love. And we see an opportunity to not hinder those who are wanting to draw near to Jesus, but we actually see an opportunity to encourage them to draw near to Jesus. Not to draw near to us, but to draw near to the source of life, our hope the object of our love, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.